You're listening to the Senior Care Pharmacist Podcast, ASCP's journal come to life. Visit ASCP.com slash journal to read the articles and ASCP.com slash podcasts to listen to more author interviews. Hi, and welcome to the Senior Care Pharmacy Podcast. I'm your co-host today, Kelly Ulin. Hey, I'm Delon Canterbury. And we're going to be talking to you about a study here with Dr. Ariane Guthrie and Don Gerber about fractured timelines, reporting patterns for bisphosphonate-associated atypical fractures and implications for post-market surveillance. So Dr. Guthrie and Gerber, will you guys please tell us a little bit about yourselves? Sure. So I am currently a Jerry Pack clinical pharmacy uh, practitioner at the Northern Arizona VA healthcare system. But during the you know, course of writing this study, I was a PGY2 resident at Midwestern University in Glendale. Hi, I'm Dawn Gerber. I am faculty at Midwestern University in Arizona, and I was Dr. Guthrie's research facilitator, mentor. During her residency year, I was also her residency coordinator. I have been faculty at Midwestern for, this is my 18th year. I teach mostly geriatric topics. Obviously, I've held leadership positions with ASCP, and we're really happy to be here today. Thank you for joining us. We're here in San Antonio, Texas at the annual meeting, so it's a pleasure to get to record all in the same room together. For our first question, tell us about what you do and how you became interested in the study. Sure. So the history started kind of in a part meal process, so to speak. I remember being in my full, you know, PPE, the mask and the goggles and the shield. And I was working with Dr. Nana Enswa. She was my PGY2 geriatric resident. And we were just bouncing ideas back and forth about these different, like if we had all the money in the world, like studies we'd like to do all the time in the world, why can't there be more than 24 hours in a day? And we were talking about like what happens after this drug holiday that's always discussed in the literature for bisphosphonates but like what what happens during that gray period Mm -hmm. we know that there's this five-year recommendation out there but what's out there and so that kind of got us talking about about the idea of this timeline thing and what what happens with bisphosphonates. And so Dr. Nana Answa, who is unfortunately not able to be with us here at the AACP annual meeting, although her, her heart is here with us, kind of got us started in that area. And then Dr. Guthrie started her residency and that concept was handed off to her to take and run and make for her her own. So I'll let Dr. Guthrie maybe talk about how she molded that idea what's that five year beyond and what does that mean and then made it her own sure so kind of full disclosure this project was inherited but it was a pleasure to be a part of so i think the initial thought you know we we have that question of how long is too long what's the ideal duration to be on bisphosphonate therapy and so this particular study doesn't necessarily answer that question but it does raise kind of bring some attention to the reporting patterns that happened and the methodology that we use to report adverse events and how that actually plays in to 
why we really need this five-year drug holiday. And so this project was a database study. So we looked at, we were able to pull data from the FDA Adverse Event Reporting System, or FAIRS, and divide that kind of according to the timeline of growing awareness of this atypical fracture risk with bisphosphonates. So from their approval in the 1990s until the early 2000s, there was this growing body of evidence and case reports that this funny thing called an atypical fracture was occurring, but it wasn't until the FDA kind of got involved and started looking into it in a broader aspect that we had the warning in 2010 saying, yes, there is this atypical fracture risk associated. But what's interesting about this phenomenon is ABC World News, also in 2010, had this huge story. And so not only was there provider awareness of this atypical fracture risk, but there was consumer awareness. Hmm. And fares can, it's not just healthcare professionals reporting to fares, it's also consumers. And so we saw, going to the title of this study, the fractured timelines, we can see how the reporting odds ratio really jumps in that post-awareness phase for all reporters, whereas you see the jump actually in the growing awareness, kind of speaking to what are health professionals like keying in on and what are our consumers actually, what are they aware of? You know, there was a funny backstory on this where when that world report story came out at my clinic, we saw a huge rush of patients frantically calling our clinic providers and my providers, it was a relatively small group of primary care providers, were just passing off all those phone calls to me. Because a lot of people didn't really understand. They just knew that there was this scary thing and they had been on it. And so there was some educational pieces that that we had to develop at the clinic to, com- to tell people like, okay, here's what we know, here's what your risks are. And so that piece of history is very well in my mind. And I actually remember we were so worried about people just just stopping their bisphosphonate inappropriately that we've created a list and and two of my rotation students back at that day and I broke out that list and we were calling people to like assure them like hey please don't stop your you know bisphosphonate here's what this means so it's kind of makes me feel a little old but you know I remember that timepiece in history and then it's been fun to see Arianne work that database and bring some light and looking retrospectively, looking back on that timeline that I was involved in. Kelly, yeah. I know you were there during that time yes, too. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I think the word not old is seasoned. Or wise. All right. So cool. So clearly this is setting us up for a slam dunk for potentially deep prescribing. So what type of, I guess, factors or components in the patient that we need to assess that would be best for deep prescribing? Like what are the best patients for that? Yeah, so patients with mild to moderate osteoporosis, it's recommended to have that drug holiday. So these would be patients who whose T-score is still above that negative 2.5. Mm-hmm. These would be patients you know, who haven't had a fracture necessarily. So maybe they were first put on the bisphosphonate because of their frac score, just kind of risk factors. You know, so there's a 
large group of patients who would qualify for that mm. drug holiday. And with the way that bisphosphonates work and the reason why we can have a drug holiday is because there's so much time within the bone. So just stopping it today, you're not going to have a fracture tomorrow. So you have that prolonged duration of activity. So for many patients, we, we can consider something like a drug holiday. It wouldn't necessarily be recommended in someone who does have severe osteoporosis, who mm. maybe have had fractures, especially if they're still having fractures or they're having worsening, you know, T-score while on therapy. So those wouldn't be candidates. And I think patients on maybe high risk medications for causing increasing the risk of osteoporosis. Yeah. And then I think another kind of piece to this for a lot of our you know, pharmacists working in the skilled nursing facility, if you have a bed bound patient, mm -hmm. what is their fracture risk ultimately, you know, mm -hmm. or somebody with a limited life expectancy? Again, they have that prolonged bone time. So just stopping it today, you know, are we worried about fractures in two years when they don't have two years. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so there's another piece I think in our article that we really wanted to get across is reminding you know folks of what to be looking out for for those deep prescribing opportunities. Yeah, that brings up a really good point. Was there something that surprised you about the results? So seeing the reporting odd ratios and and how they differed comparing like all reporters, which would include the consumers versus just healthcare professionals, it was promising in, in that, you know, if we see that jump in the growing awareness, that's hopefully meaning that healthcare professionals are paying attention to the literature because that ABC World News story wasn't necessarily out yet. It was really those case reports. And so that that was really surprising. And because when you do a study like this, we don't know what kind of results we're going to get. Right. It's, mm -hmm. it's very much how do we interpret what we're seeing and what, what could it possibly mean. And so it was really exciting to see that kind of divergence. So I was hoping that maybe for our listeners, you and I have been working with this for so long, it seems like we are very familiar with the definitions of growing awareness and things like that. So maybe just for the listeners, you can define those three time periods that you maybe referenced a couple of times while we're talking about this. Yeah, so the very first case reports for this atypical fracture associated with bisphosphonate started appearing in the literature as early as 2005. And so from 2005 to 2008, there was just case reports. And then in June of 2008, the FDA started to formally request atypical fracture information from the manufacturers. And then in March of 2010, so it's two years later, is when FDA came out with the announcement that, yes, there is this risk with oral bisphosphonates. And then just a couple days difference, ABC World News Tonight came out with uh, the story on this report. So pre-awareness we defined as from 1995 until 2006. So 1995, which was when Alendronate was approved in 2006, and then growing awareness would be 2007 to 2009 when the majority of the case reports were coming out, and then 2010 to when we started the study, which was in 2021, would be that post-awareness phase. Thank you for breaking it down. Dawn, did you want to add something? Oh, nope, okay. I just, you know, we get, as researchers, so into what we're doing. And I know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, saying. I understand what she's saying, but sometimes it's good to realize that not everybody speaks our language when we're talking about abbreviations and, and things like yeah. that. Yeah. All right. So this is great info. Where do you think the future of prescribing habits will go with knowing this new knowledge? Sure. So we talked a little bit about deprescribing and the opportunities there that this study further highlights. But a big piece of this, too, is med safety. 
And so with that FAIRS database, it included consumer reports as well as healthcare professional reports. And I think as healthcare professionals, we should really take ownership of reporting these signaling events and adverse drug mm-hmm. events to, to the FDA, especially when we're working with older adults who may have been who are often underrepresented in clinical studies and who are probably maybe more vulnerable to having adverse events from um, some of our emerging medications. I think it's so easy to say, oh, report this, or you should really report this. I remember that I had a patient who was experiencing a pretty significant adverse effect from an antipsychotic kind of before we Mm. really had all of those warnings out there. Mm -hmm. And I kept telling the provider, I was like, really need to report this. I think this is really important that we recognize this and, and you need to report this. Mm-hmm. And finally, she kept being like, okay, well, we'll talk about that later. And then the patient would do follow up and she's like, oh, I'm like, you should really report this. And we're like, oh, I'll talk. And then finally, I was like, she's like, I don't know how. <laughs> you know? And it, I realized, I was like, oh, she's, uh, you know, I'm sitting here and thinking like, oh, she doesn't trust my judgment as a, as a clinical pharmacist. Maybe I need to present this. Like I had all these thoughts doubting myself. Right. And then she was like, I just don't know how to do that. <laughs> that's such a great point. And I think that that's very common that yeah. we say things like, oh, make sure you report that. But then well, where do I even right. go? And so mm-hmm. I think we created a, a nice table. So I, I'm hoping people will look at the journal publication and we walk through it literally step by step and what to expect, what data to need in front of you. Mm-hmm. We actually point out that you don't have to have all the data in front of you. As pharmacists, I feel very much like we have to have every box filled perfectly. And sometimes we may not have all that data. And um, it actually does point out that the fairs does not actually require Require that every single box be exactly filled out. Um, and so I love the table. It's very easy to read and I think it will help. And so looking back, I could have given her that provider that information and been like, here's how you support that. I think it could have caused both of us less anguish for like three months. <laughs> That brings up a really good point for our listeners, though, just to make your recommendations even more impactful. Go and do it here. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. This is great information. What would you like to tell the listeners most about what we've discussed today and where do you see the future of your ongoing projects? I guess we would really encourage our listeners to use the resources that are promoted by ASCP. We, as members of ASCP, have great resources available to us. ASCP has a lot of published items that are great resources. I know that I really talk to my residents a lot about those different resources available. So one of my favorite, and I was super excited to attend the session provided by some of the authors, is the Choosing Wisely statements. Mm -hmm. I think those are great. They're very easy. They're very bite-sized, very quick. You can copy, paste, send it to a provider, and it's all right there. Mm -hmm. So doing a lot of the work for us. I know that Ariane also has a a favorite deprescribing resource. Yeah, so deprescribing.org. It is what it sounds like. It's so great. On that website, you can find algorithms to deprescribe proton pump inhibitors, antipsychotics, antiglycemics. So those algorithms can be really helpful and they're very visually pleasing. So you can even present them to your patient and their caregivers and family members so that everybody is really on board with the the message of deprescribing. I also like deprescribing.org because it has 
I'm a mom, worksheets, I don't know a better way to describe it, worksheets where it kind of walks through the patient or the family members on the benefits of deprescribing these agents, what the risks of these agents are, and it really has them even do self-assessments of things that they're experiencing. And I think that's something else that I really love about deprescribing.org is that patient engagement piece. And it's not just a Dr. Guthrie saying, Kelly is a bad mess, getting it off. And Mm -hmm. Kelly might love her Valium, (laughs) crying out of my cold, dead hands. She does love Valium. (laughs) They love their Valium. You know, but engaging that patient. So I I think there's a lot of resources that are maybe underappreciated that are out there that make it just so easy to start that de-prescribing conversation with the patient Mm -hmm. and with the provider and family and to get all the stakeholders buy-in. Yeah, absolutely. I found in my practice the best chance of deprescribing I'm going to have is if the patient or care partner is empowered to know why we're making the change we're making for it to be a sustained change after they leave us in the hospital or in our short-term care facility where I work. Yeah, that makes a good point. Thank you for that resource for our listeners. All right, so one final question. If funding wasn't an issue, what study would you like to do in the future? I have so many. I wake up at 3 a.m. thinking, oh my gosh, if I just had all the... Uh, it's not the funding as much as the time. Yeah, I get 24 it. 24 hours in a day. Is there anything that you wish you could answer well, going beyond the study? You know, I, I feel very fortunate that I can practice in the VA where we have our patient-aligned care teams and I work... You know, I have prescriptive authority. I can work very closely with the healthcare team. And I've recognized that not all, you know, ambulatory care pharmacists are in that same position. And we have to often justify, you know, our value and what the value we can bring to that team. And so just seeing more studies about team-based care, just and to help with reimbursement, just helps promote us as providers. Mm-hmm. That, that would be my, yeah. you know in what I envision in a perfect world. Yeah, thank you. I don't think I, I could spend hours talking about all the ideas I have, So, and I know we're on a limited time, so that'll be another podcast. Okay, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> all right, well, thank you so much, Dr. Gerber and Dr. Guthrie, for your time today and for your research and, and adding to the literature. This is so important. We have more literature out there about our senior patients. It's how we're going to drive change. So my name is Kelly Ulan. I'm the co-host here today with... Delon Canterbury. And we are talking to you today about fractured timelines, reporting patterns for bisphosphonate-associated atypical fractures, and implications for post-market surveillance. And you can find this in the November 22 journal of the Senior Care Pharmacist. It is also online live for our members on the ASCP.com website. You can get to it. So thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. We would love to acknowledge our co-researcher, Kathy Fairman, PhD. She literally wrote the textbook that's used by some pharmacy schools about biostats, and we would be nowhere without her. So big shout out to Kathy and all the expertise that she brings to our research team. You're listening to the Senior Care Pharmacist Podcast, ASCP's journal come to life. Visit ASCP.com journal to read the articles and ASCP.com slash podcasts to listen to more author interviews.